She Loves Herself with Jill Ritchie, showing you how to embrace vulnerability and unearth your power within. Good morning, everyone. Happy Friday. It's Friday, which means we have another epic guest on the She Loves Herself podcast. My guest this week is Andrea Owen. And for those of you who don't know who Andrea Owen is, let me just tell you a little bit about how I connected with Andrea, first of all. So three and a half years ago, when I began my personal development stroke healing journey, I had never really listened to podcasts before. And I heard Andrea Owen speak on someone else's podcast and I was really like pulled in. And I started following her and I started listening to her podcast every single week. And then I bought her books. So she is an author. She's a global speaker. She's also a professional certified life coach who works with high achieving women, helping them to maximize unshakable confidence and master their resilience. So Andrea has actually taught hundreds of thousands of women across the globe um, and helped them to really put tools and strategies in place for them to empower themselves and live their most authentic kick-ass life. Her book that I bought three and a half years ago was 52 Ways to Live a Kick-Ass Life. And I remember when I did my first vision board, so that would have been about three years ago, and I put a picture of Andrea Owen on it because I thought, right, I want her to be my coach or I want to meet her. But she was in America and I'm like, right, okay, let's just get it on the board. You never know. And obviously it never happened until now. (laughs) So Andrea is on my podcast, sharing her wisdom, sharing her truth and talking about her journey to sobriety, her lowest points in her life and what she did to break through and ultimately live her kick-ass life and then empower so many of us to live our truth and live our kick-ass life. Andrea has a new book that is released this week. So this podcast episode recording is just at the perfect time as well. Her book is called Make Some Noise, Speak Your Mind and Own Your Strength. So it's everything that I talk about as well. So I have popped all of her details her workbook, links to her book, links to connect with her in the show notes because I know you guys are just going to love her and want to connect with her even more. So without further ado, let's go in and enjoy this epic episode with Andrea Owen. She Loves Herself with Jill Ritchie. Welcome to the She Loves Herself podcast, Andrea Owen. Hello, Jill. Oh my goodness. I am so excited. And actually, just before we started recording, I have got like I was totally fangirling on Andrea. And I was sharing with Andrea that Andrea is one of the biggest reasons that I decided to get into personal development, everyone. So I started following Andrea over three years ago before I even started doing my qualification and coaching, doing my energy coaching, I started tuning into Andrea's podcast and I just loved her authenticity and her her personality really, really spoke to me. And so I was just saying to her before we started recording, thank you so much. Um, because it's people like Andrea that lead the way and inspire other people to follow their dreams and trust 
themselves and their authentic voice. So maybe this podcast wouldn't have been here if it wasn't for Andrea. Yes. Maybe not. I'll yes. take the credit. Hey, but <laughs> and here I have her on the podcast. I'm so, so excited. And this is where the universe works absolute wonders when you're in alignment and you start to speak your authentic truth, everyone. The stars align and mm-hmm. life does flow so much easier when we are our authentic self, right? I, of course, 100% agree. And I love that for you, this is a full circle moment and um, Mm -hmm. it's just fun. And I can't, I can't wait to dive in. It is fun. So Andrea, I am delighted to have you on here. And I know that my guests, well, my audience are going to love every guest that I have on, but particularly you and what you have to share. So Andrea, you are the very proud author of three incredible books how to stop feeling like shit, mm-hmm. 52 ways to live a kick-ass life, which I'm holding in my hand right now, and your new book, which you're just about to launch very, very soon called Make Some Noise. I want to ask you, what, what was the path that took you into becoming an author? Well, from the beginning, I've, I've always thought about being one. It wasn't one of those things where I said when I was a child that I, I wanted to do that when I grew up, but I wanted to be a professional tennis player and that didn't end up working out. But I, um, I loved to write as a kid. You know, when I was a teenager, I would write these angsty poems, you know, about heartbreak and love. And when I was a younger child, I'd write these fictional stories about babysitting. And, and then in my twenties, I lost myself, I think, which, which happens to many people, many women. And I didn't write for a long time. And then I picked it back up again when I um, had kids and was just, I started blogging in 2007 and it was fun. And I remembered that I liked to write. And then in 2011, I got sober and that was extremely pivotal, pivotal for me and my personal development journey and and recovery. And I I do think we're all recovering from, from something. Mm -hmm. It might not be alcohol, but it, it is something. And a couple of months later, I sat up in bed and I said to myself, I may have even said it out loud to my husband, but I, I distinctly remember thinking, I'm going to write a book. <laughs> I, I, I need to, like, it's not just, I, I want to do this thing. Like it, the universe was like poking me and saying, this needs to happen. And I, I had learned at that point, I had to listen to my intuition because I had ignored it in so many big ways before and didn't trust myself. And so I just decided to go for it. And, and to be honest with you, Jill, like I am the type of person who takes action very quickly. Yeah. I, um, I don't think before I act. So, so that, and, and believe me, like to a fault sometimes where I've had to learn very hard lessons in retrospect. And uh, I didn't know what it was going to be about. I didn't know how I was going to go about it. I didn't have any connections to a literary agent at that time. And so the the long and short of it is that I just decided that it was something I needed to do. And I went for it with, with kind of no plan, but then I got coaching on it, you know, as we do. And I ended up figuring it out. Yeah, amazing. And your books are absolutely amazing. And I love, you know, I've had the pleasure of of reading um, your new book, Make Some Noise. And there's definitely a theme in your books, which really jumps out to me, which I love. And that is truth Mm -hmm. and authenticity and vulnerability. So I've 
had also had the pleasure of listening to your podcast. So for those of you who don't, you need to check it out because it's amazing. And you do speak such truth and you share vulnerably in your books and on your podcast. How easy is that for you to do that? That's such an interesting question. So I was doing this before people were doing it as a strategy. Like I didn't... (laughs) I didn't know that it would, that I would essentially build a foundation on me telling my truthful stories. So I don't know if you're familiar with the folktale, the emperor has no clothes, Yeah, you know, the child that, that ends up pointing out that the emperor is naked when everybody else doesn't say anything. So that was essentially me as a child. I, I grew up and I think it's very similar culture in the UK. We don't talk about hard things. Mm-hmm. Um, and this isn't to blame my parents. Like they did what they were taught. And I always felt this uncomfortableness and wanted to talk about things. And I asked a lot of questions at church, at which they didn't like at church and pushed back a little bit. And I was I was by no means re- a rebellious child, but I've, I've always had that in me. I think it's a little bit innate. Um, And so I just, to to answer your question, in a way, yes, it it has Mm -hmm. always been easy. And I was surprised in the beginning when women were reading my blog and raising their hand saying, me too. You know, I also am having a really difficult time being a stay-at-home mom. It's not as fulfilling as I had hoped it would be. And I feel guilty and ashamed around it. I too struggled with body image and eating and um, don't know how to talk about it. And, and I'm, I'm embarrassed about it. So all these, all these issues where I kind of thought I was the only one, but also kind of knew that was impossible. (laughs) I started talking about early on and um, yeah. And then that just morphed into books. Yeah. I love that. And you're a qualified coach as well, right? So Mm -hmm. what what did you do before coaching? So before you became an author, before you started to blog and become a coach, what would you mind sharing a bit of your story before that, which led you onto the path that you're on now? Yeah, I was a wanderer. I I never, um, I was not the kid in high school who knew exactly what I wanted to do. Many of my friends, you know, got accepted to college and knew that what they wanted to do. That was not me. I went to junior college because I thought, knew I had to do something. And I ended up getting put on academic probation because my grades were so bad. I was too busy going to the beach to then going to class. And I ended up in the fashion industry Working, um, I went to college for it, working um, as an assistant buyer for a large chain of, of surf shops in California. And it was a it was a good on paper job. It was a cool job, but it was I was miserable. I hated it. And uh, I knew that, you know how like you see people who are above you in the ladder. And then I was like, I don't want that job. I don't want that life. That's that was my future. So I left and I dressed mannequins for a department store and store windows. And that was really fun, but there wasn't a lot of money in it. And I knew I wanted to, you know, like ha- make a career. Um, so I went back to college, got my bachelor's degree in exercise physiology and was in the fitness industry for, for a while and really loved it. Um, I'm fascinated with the human body and how we tick and how we work. Mm-hmm. And that's what brought me to life coaching because I was, I worked both corporately and like on the gym floor as a personal trainer. And I found that I, I only had clients who were women and many times they would come to me with 
with issues in their life and low self-esteem and low self-confidence and feeling like the answer was on the treadmill, that the answer was in getting a tone body, <clears throat> excuse me. And I knew that wasn't the answer. And, and I was not qualified at the time to help them. Mm-hmm. And so that's what, what essentially brought me to life coaching. Yeah. Amazing. And you've been a life coach for a number of years now. Do you still coach Mm-hmm. More than a decade. I do take a handful of, of one-on-one VIP clients. I have a, a couple of lead coaches that, um, that take my clients as well. And, um, and I, I mostly speak on stages and, and write books, but I still love one-on-one coaching. I love to go deep with someone and hear their stories. And the two of us co-create, you know, the assignments and the work that she's going to do in between the sessions so that she can get to the place in her life where she wants to. I love it when my clients also work with a therapist as well. It's, it's still really one-on-one coaching is one of the loves of my life. Oh my goodness. I see that. Yeah. It's a bit like your medicine for me. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, um, even though, when we do personal development work, and I say this to people all the time, just because you do personal development, you are not immune to shit things happening to you, by the way. (laughs) Can I just say that? I think people do think, oh, well, you know, I'm still, I've experienced this really shitty experience and why am I feeling this way? I'm like, it still happens. Like human. You're still human. And you know, and I say this with love, but shit things happen to good people. But actually, yes. when you do this work, you have a toolkit that you can go back to and you can call upon and you do become more resilient and you do bounce mm-hmm. back quicker. Um, and your journey, like I have obviously followed your journey for a few years and I loved listening to your story around how you got sober. Would you mind sharing that? Because I know that that will really inspire so many people listening to that. Sure. And I, I, I love this question because I talk about sobriety as, as many people do sobriety and recovery, which by the way, I feel are are two very different things. You can, you can quit drinking and not recover, (laughs) which which some people do, but, um, mine wasn't just about quitting drinking. I was a severe codependent in my, probably starting around my late teens, all through my twenties. I was also a love addict. So basically the short version of that for people who aren't familiar with it, I used men and relationships and sometimes sex as my drug of choice. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the codependence and love addiction and also things like shopping and gambling are called process addictions where drug, alcohol, food is more of a chemical addiction. And actually, I think from what I understand, there's the jury's still out that food can actually become an addiction. It's actually the eating that's the disordered part. But anyway, that's another story for another time. Um, I got help for my codependence and my love addiction around 2006, 2007. I had a very ugly uh, and dramatic and traumatic divorce and bad relationship right after that. And so I, that's really when I dove into therapy and 12-step programs and, and got help for my codependence and my love addiction. And that was great. And I felt so much better and really felt the positive effects of having tools at your disposal, like you were just talking about, to be more resilient. I was really facing my stuff. And then I met someone great who's still my husband. And I noticed that my drinking picked up. And I thought, well, that's interesting. But I I didn't want to look at it because I loved drinking. Mm -hmm. And um, it just progressively got worse the quantity that I was drinking 
mostly every day. And I had two small children at the time. Um, and my dad had gotten sober when I was 18 and he was my first sort of model of what's called a, a functioning alcoholic or a high functioning alcoholic where you wouldn't know, you know, people have jobs, they still have their family intact. They maybe have never had a DUI or gotten in trouble with the law or at work. And that was my life. And I knew my intuition was telling me if I kept drinking, no good could come from it. Absolutely no good could come from it. It wasn't worth the few good times I was having. You know, I was mostly drinking alone. My husband doesn't drink by choice. So I was mostly drinking alone in my kitchen, you know, starting at like four o'clock in the afternoon. And and I was just absent also from my littles and just rushing through bedtime and things like that. So I decided to get sober, but I had no idea, Jill, that that would be the true beginning of me having to face the trauma um, that I still carried around. And I had done a lot of work up until then, but when I got sober and started recovery, I realized how much of my emotional pain I had shoved down and buried from drinking or codependence or love addiction or whatever it was. And that was rough. I mean, I won't lie. There were times where I still, every once in a blue moon, something really hard happens. And I think to myself, whoa, a bottle of wine would make yeah. me feel so much better right now. And it's true. It would make me feel better for a few hours <laughs> and it doesn't ever go away. And that's the thing with addiction, whether it's a process addiction or a chemical addiction, like our problems don't go away. Like we can run all we want. And, and the point that I'm trying to make here is that it was never about the drinking and it was never about the men. And it was never about the control that I wanted. It was, it was trying to run away from my life. It was trying to run away from the pain. I did not think that I could face it. I didn't think I could walk through it. And because I felt like that, I also couldn't be with anyone else's. So if you came to me and were very, even in coaching, like if a client came and was upset about something, I would try to go around it. Like, okay, like what are we going to, let's strategize instead of, instead of bearing witness, instead of what they call holding space for someone, it was incredibly uncomfortable, like the most uncomfortable. And so getting sober taught me that I'm not going to die when I'm, being with my own feelings or someone else's. And I know it sounds very simple, but to someone who has run away, I said, that, I always say that like I was emotionally illiterate. Um, I didn't know how, and I had to learn and I'm on the other side and I'm so much stronger and more empowered for it. Wow. Goosebumps. That's such a, I felt emotional listening to you speaking there because I remember listening to something that you shared please correct me if I'm wrong, because it was a while ago, a few years ago, that you needed an al some sort of alcohol and there was medicine or something in the cupboard. Oh, yeah. Something. So I had, I was, this was, I was only sober for like four or so months and I was in recovery, 12 step programs. And I had gotten into an argument with my husband, which is probably my number one trigger, uh, abandonment. Yeah. which a lot of us, right? Like we have that abandonment wound and um, it's also very unusual for my husband and I to, to get into like, quote unquote, like fights. 
And so he had left and just on a drive, not like left the marriage, but I went into that dark place. <laughs> yeah. You know, I went into that dark place of like, oh my God, he's leaving me. What am I going to do? I'm going to be a single parent. Like I start to plan mm-hmm. out like my whole life. And, um, I thought to myself, all I wanted to do was get buzzed. I didn't really want to get drunk. I just wanted to, again, like run away from what I was feeling. We as addicts, alcoholics, like we want to change the way we feel. Even if you don't identify as an addict or alcoholic, like, yeah. you want to change like, when you're stressed out after what work, you? Uh-huh. you want to change the way you feel. And that's what I wanted to do, but I didn't want to drink because I didn't want to break my sobriety streak. And so I, I had, I had heard that you could get drunk from cough medicine. Mm-hmm. So I felt like that was a loophole. Like, like I'm not actually drinking. <laughs> So I found myself drinking NyQuil and then um, I threw in some vanilla extract, like just for shits and giggles and stood there in the pantry having like a, a moment with myself thinking, what am I doing? What am I doing? Yeah. And then later that evening, I was drinking a bottle of wine from the bottle and my son was three or four at the time. And he asked me that question. He was jumping on the bed and he said, mommy, what are you doing? Cause it probably looked funny to him. He had never seen me drink from like a bottle before. And that was a moment that I had. And that was September 27th, 2011. And I have not, I have not had a drink since. Yeah. That was your moment. Right. And wow. And I love that you've been so super honest and um, shared that because I remember hearing that. I don't know if you must have shared it on your podcast or something. Yeah, I have. And I heard that. And I think it just really gives us all permission to look at ourselves. And we don't need to associate with being an alcoholic or a drug addict, but actually we are all running from our emotions we don't want to feel pain we don't want to feel sad we don't want to feel anger and something you said earlier on around shame and that's a huge thing because again so many people get conflicted with shame versus guilt and Mm. actually shame is when we hold shame around um someone else's expectations of who we should be and how we should be showing up. And when we don't meet those expectations, we feel shame versus guilt against going our, our, against our own core values. And um, I want to ask you about when you were on that road to recovery, Andrea, um, when you had no place to go, like no buzz or no sort of drink or, or anything to, to reach out to that would normally numb that what was that journey like for you all full recovery? Did you go in and, because for me, I know I, I actually work a lot with energy and really self-healing. Mm-hmm. I think often we are always looking for the external fix, right? And there's nothing wrong. I just want to say, I'm, I say it all the time, I'm not dissing Western medicine. However, we are so equipped with everything that we need to work through stuff we carry a lot from our ancestors our bloodline trauma right did you do any of that kind of work to work through your stuff and and if you did like what's your thoughts on it like what's your beliefs on that kind of work yeah I I believe in all of it I think it's all important and I I think I I I started to look into it when I had done talk therapy for years and years and years and realized I was stuck Hmm. I think talk therapy is great. 
Um, but I think it can only take you so far. You can't, the way that the subconscious works, it's so fascinating. And I, I don't know a whole lot about it. My best friend, who's also a life coach, Amy Smith, she's a hypnotherapist. She's a trained and certified hypnotherapist. And so she tells me about this. It's so fascinating how trauma and, and the book, that's a very popular book, The Body Keeps the Score. Oh yeah. Is about how trauma stays in our bodies and it's, and it's mm -hmm. in our tissues. And this is why people have flashbacks. This is why, um, that we feel like we should be over something, but we're not, and we get triggered. And so I, let's see, gosh, I've done so many things. I've done family constellation therapy. I've done, um, oh shoot. What was the name of it? My last therapist did something integrative therapy, something with an A, advanced integrative therapy, I think is called where it just, it's somatic work. It's yes, like some visualizations. It's some, you know, like doing the pressure points, it's chakra work. I've done Reiki. Um, my next is acupuncture. I haven't done it yet, but my therapist gave me some, cause she's like, you're ready for acupuncture to try to, you know, get it out of, out of your body. And Honestly, Jill, like one of the things that has helped so much is acceptance and surrender. Yeah, mm -hmm. I fought and resisted so much of it that I felt like, I felt like, to be honest with you, what I experienced was sheer terror. <laughs> And I'm not trying to be dramatic. Like if you no, ask me like, true. what was it like? Talk about that a it lot was terror. Yeah. Having to go through life with no way to check out, mm -hmm. I felt naked and raw and terrified. Yeah. And um, I didn't feel strong enough. Um, I just felt like it was going to be this bloody battle, this street fight that I was not equipped to have. Yeah. And it wasn't that bad. Like <laughs> it wasn't as dramatic and painful as I made up that it was going to be. And, um, and like you were saying, like it just, you become more resilient and you bounce back faster. Do I like going through hard times? Absolutely not. Like I don't, I don't want to, but it's, mm -hmm. I think now I am, I am, I feel safer and trust myself that I know that I will get to the other side and that I'm going to be okay. Do I, do I know that I'm going to be stronger for it? No, but that's okay. Like, I just know that I'm going to be okay. And, um, that has helped tremendously. And I, I do think that that's body work, that yeah. surrender. Mm. Uh, so yes, that was a long way of saying. No, I love that. The rest body work. Yeah, <laughs> it's completely so important. Funny. Yeah, definitely. And if someone had said to me three and a half years ago, you would be doing somatic work and you'd be taking clients through that. I would be like, what even is that? I mean, I never meditated three and a half years ago. I actually started with a 30 days beginners on YouTube <laughs> no one in Perfect. my network honestly no one in my network did it and I was like right how do I start this whole meditation thing and I was actually like I'm just going to do this and try it but I was so committed to feeling better and listening yeah. to you that was that commitment to right I need to take personal responsibility for where I am right now no one's coming to knock on the door and I think the very first um ever ever self-help book my partner handed to me three and a half years ago was the secret and okay <laughs> yeah that changed my life too yeah I remember the first um few chapters I was like I was so again it was another day that I'd woken up racing heart soaked in sweat 37 years old at the time thinking I've got um I'm having the change 
I'm early okay, menopause. Yeah. I would rather have had that than admit that I was actually suffering with stress and anxiety. Although I didn't mm-hmm. want to be have that label. So I was like, do you know what? I've, I've self-diagnosed it's early menopause. Mm, no, it wasn't actually. And I remember reading that book and the first few chapters thinking, this is total garbage. Like, how is it my fault that all of these things are happening to me? It's a little airy-fairy. Yeah. <laughs> but do you know what? It was so funny because I'd never read anything like that in my life I truly believed and I think so many people listening will resonate they believe that things are being done to them all the time and it's like we we don't realize our power within to actually when we start to take personal responsibility and yes and like I said earlier shit things will happen regardless of how much personal development work you do Uh but it's about a choice to say I'm going to take personal responsibility for my life in this moment. It's down to me. No one's coming to save me. But actually, it's really liberating when you do it because you realize that you have this power within. And um, that's what I get from you in that moment saying, right, okay, that's a turning point for me. I need to make this change and make it now. And it's so inspiring because what you did, although it's been a a difficult process and it's not always been easy for you what you've gone on and done has created phenomenal not only transformation for yourself and your family you've become a leader and shown other people across the globe by the way how mm-hmm. to do that too and it's the ripple effect we don't realize how making those you making that decision Andrea and making that decision at that moment to feel that pain and feel that trauma but do the work anyway and not give up and choose you has had huge impacts on mm-hmm. so many people which is just amazing which leads me on to talking about your latest book now I've obviously got well I've, I've read your 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 two books I'm in the process of reading make some noise And as I said earlier, it's as amazing as the other ones. And I want to just dive into that because I want everyone to really go out and and get this book because it will resonate with so many of you. And you, what I love about this book that's different from the other ones is there's lessons in each one. So you talk about it and and there's chapters and then there's a lesson for people to go and do. So actually there's like great things around, like there's prompts for people to go and work on, there's journal prompts, there's exercises for people to do. What was it about this book that made you think, actually, this is not just a self-help book. This is a self-help book that's also going to allow people to almost be inadvertently coached by you without actually being in a room with you. Mm -hmm. That's what I wanted it to be. Like, that's what I think all self-help books should be. Like, (laughs) really it's, it's like, I know that some people will just listen to the book while they're working out or whatever. And that's fine. Like you're, you're, you're only, I, I like to give people the dignity of their own process, but I ask over 250 questions in this book. And, and by the way, I I can tell you later, I, I made a, a workbook for people that they can download for free um, if they have the book. So mm-hmm. I wanted people to learn how to coach themselves. And, and, you know, the gist of the book is that 
I, I could not write another self-help book without talking about the elephant in the room. And that is the culture that raised us. I very quickly came to realize that much of the problems in my niche, the perfectionism, the people-pleasing, the overachievement, uh, the inner critic, this is born from our culture from, from patriarchy. And I want to just say too, that patriarchy hurts everyone. It's not just women. It's a, it's a culture that, um, is not sustainable. And I am obsessed with the root of the problem. I'm like, let's just be efficient. Like, (laughs) let's just get, get in there. And so that's what this book is about is like, how do we simultaneously continue to live in society? Um, and, and also, move forward and, and question what we've been handed, what we've been taught, how we've been socialized and conditioned to think, believe, and how we've been conditioned and socialized to behave. And so I don't know if I answered your question, but I just wanted to give like a bottom line of what the book is. You did, you did. And it's, it's amazing to share that because, and I, do you know, I love that you said around the patriarchy around not just women, because actually I'm a mum to two boys Okay. And I parent my children completely differently than I did three and a half years ago. Because I believe that boys should be a certain way. I mean, I cringe as I say it, but I'm being mm-hmm. honest. I, I, but I was conditioned, you know. Sure, you want them to fit like, in. Oh my God, like boys do it this way, girls do it that way. And it's mad as I say it. I'm like, Jill, what planet were you even on? But you don't know what you don't know. And now I know I'm like, and I think it's important to share that with people because I think people look at, especially people in the personal development world and they think, oh, they've got it all together. I bet they never make a mistake. Like I make mistakes all the time. I mean, there's things I I did last week that I wouldn't do now. Right. (laughs) You know? Yeah, for sure. And, and I have, I have one of each, I have a daughter and a son and, um, I want something different for them. Like mm-hmm. I, you, you didn't do anything wrong. Like none of us did anything wrong. Like we were raised a certain way. And unless you had parents who were extraordinarily progressive, mm-hmm. um, feminists and probably therapists, then, <laughs> then you were probably raised like us. And, um, it just, we didn't have any other options. So, so what were we going to do? How were we going to think any differently? But I'm glad to see that things are starting to shift. Well, they are definitely starting to shift and, you talk in the book about, you know, you've got your chapters in the unlearning process. Mm-hmm. Can you talk to us about what, how the unlearning part works and fits into the book? Yeah. So pretty early on when I was writing the book, I knew that it wasn't just about, you know, here are some tools to use to be able to change your life. Like, yes, that's part of it, but we have a lot of unlearning to do. You know, we have mm-hmm. been living our lives. I, I, I write for women across all four generations, Gen Z, millennial, Gen X, and baby boomers. But I mean, even if you're a woman in your twenties, like that's two solid decades of, yeah. of learning and being and practicing. And the neural pathways are very, um, they're embedded. They are, uh, they're in kind of in, in loose cement. So it's going to take some unlearning and, one of the greatest gifts I think that comes from life coaching is the, is the tool of curiosity. Mm. And so the very first step, there's four steps in, in the unlearning. And I, I go through each of them at the end of every chapter and kind of walk people through what it would look like for each topic. And the first one is just to notice, like you can't, you know, you can't, 
you have to name it to tame it basically. So mm-hmm. just notice. So let's take a simple one, like negative self-talk. Like you, you can't fix the way you speak to yourself unless you're noticing when you are beating yourself up, when you are being too hard on yourself. So that's the first step is to notice. Then the second one is to get curious because a lot of times what happens is, you know, let's say we, um, we start to notice that we're, we're beating ourselves up and then we feel like shit because of that. Like, oh my gosh, look how broken I am. I'm never going to be able to change this self-talk. It's constant, uh, you know, and, and I call that the ultimate ass kicker. Like when you're beating yourself up for beating yourself up. Oh no. So I, I invite people to just get curious. Yeah. Why do you think you beat yourself up about that? what are your expectations? Who made those expectations? Is someone or something profiting from those expectations? So again, it's just kind of like pulling the thread on the sweater to um, just to dig a little bit deeper. The third step is self-compassion because I invite people to not have any charge around what they're discovering. It is neither good nor bad. It just is. And you have to be kind to yourself. Like you have been doing your best this whole time. And the last one is um, keep the momentum. So this is things like having conversations with your girlfriends about it, having conversations with your children, just open, curious conversations, not lectures, mm-hmm. <laughs> just conversations. And, and obviously, you know, keeping the curiosity, keeping the self-compassion, and then we do it all over again. Yeah, I love that. And I love that you give those lessons and unlearning because so many times we can read a book or listen to an audio book and we're like, oh my God, yeah, yeah, resonate, resonate, hear it, uh uh-huh, uh-huh. And then what? We go back to our life, right? We're like, oh gosh, I can't, you know, it's like watching someone having, like giving a great TED talk Mm -hmm. and you're like, oh my God, I feel amazing. 10 minutes later, you're like, right, okay. Yeah my life's still the same and I don't know even the first step to take. And I can't now remember what she said or he said. And I love in this book that you have the unlearning because that's the, that's where the change happens. And that's where we can create those new neural pathways mm-hmm. and we can create those exactly. new habits. And it is consistency though, isn't it? I think that's a big thing. I think many people will try look will try something for a couple of weeks and they're like oh I feel amazing and they'll come they'll probably come to you with and coaching they've come to me certainly and they'll be like oh I feel amazing and then you'll see them a week later and they're like oh I've had such a bad week like talk me through it right what have you been doing well I haven't done any of my my, my morning routine and I haven't done this and I haven't and that's it that's where we break down I think often I don't know how you feel about this Andrea we overcomplicate it and actually a lot of this work it's not easy because it's hardwired right Mm -hmm. but the process is actually really simple it's the habit that we need to create to clear you know we we talked a wee bit about somatic and, and and clearing out that old program awareness recognizing it surrender clearing it out and then creating new habits and behaviors but we need to be consistent doing it for a few weeks is not enough to unpick 20 or 30 years of what we believed was was true right Mm -hmm. 100 and like this the brain science proves that if you've ever taught a child to tie their shoes 
I, um, you know, now as an adult, you can probably tie your shoes and not even look and have a conversation with someone as you're quickly doing it. But when you were a child, it was very slow. You had to, um, watch what you were doing. You had to maybe start over. Like it was, it's a process like that. That's with everything. The really fascinating thing is that when we learn a new skill, um, new neural pathways are created, but they're temporary. But the more that you do things over and over again, the more they become more permanent. And like every neuron in the brain can connect with up to 10,000 other neurons. Like I geek out on science, like it blows my mind. And so Mm -hmm. my point is, is that like, you have to be repetitive. It is the same with anything. If you are doing any kind of sport, if you are doing any kind of skill, you don't just do it one time and then your life has changed. You have to keep practicing it. And it is the same with your self-talk. It is the same with setting boundaries. It is the same with people pleasing or perfectionism and all of these things that, um, that happen. And like, sometimes, you know, we might make a mistake when we're tying our shoes, like, Oh, well, that's weird. You know, I still make mistakes sometimes. And I realize that I've wanting something to be perfect and it's just, it's okay. It's okay. You know, at the end of the day, we're still human and our, our brains and our bodies are not perfectly wired. Like there are going to be some mistakes, but the more you practice, the less mistakes there are. Yeah. And it just, it does get easier and we start to get results really quickly. It's surprising. And, you know, even with your book, those unlearning, those lessons, you will start, if you do those lessons, you'll start to feel the shift really quickly. Now, not everyone can, you know, have can work with a coach but everyone can buy a book and give themselves that time and I hear a lot from people saying I just don't have time I'm like you want to check your screen time on your phone and then you have time to feel like shit then (laughs) (laughs) exactly I mean honestly when people say I don't have time I'm like go just check your screen time oh it's seven hours I've been on my phone today I'm like what how can you Mm -hmm. say you don't have time it's it's taking that personal responsibility again. And if you want to feel amazing, then I, I, I know that a book like this book um, makes some noise will completely and, and could completely transform your life. Like I said that, like I connected and followed Andrea's work and that was that and the secret was the catalyst for me doing what I'm doing now. It just takes a decision to say, I'm going to do that and I'm going to commit to me and transforming. You don't need to know the how it's all in the book, right? Yeah. So you don't need yeah. to figure it out. Well, and I, I want to say this just as a caveat that, and, and you were alluding to this a little bit, that it's, it's not exactly the same for everyone. And, you know, people who, you know, as someone who's been diagnosed with anxiety disorder and depression last year. And I actually have an appointment in August to get tested for ADHD because I'm almost positive I have it. You know, neurodiversity is very real. And I know it firsthand. I've seen it in my clients. Like not everyone is going to get the same results. And so, and and also trauma can play a big part in this. There are some people who have negative self-talk and it comes from, you know, years of verbal abuse. So I don't want to discount that at all. And for someone who's listening, who maybe isn't getting the results that they want from just reading books, I, I highly encourage you if you have the resources to do so is to go seek out specific trauma therapists. You know, EMDR is fantastic. And, and also, you know, some people don't have the resources, you know, perhaps if they're in like a marginalized group, if they have a disability. And so all those systems also play a part into personal development. Um, I just want to say that out loud because it's, I, 
I take some issue even with the law of attraction. You know, we both, the secret like changed our lives and I, I took it and ran with it. And at the end of the day, I'm a very privileged white woman. And um, do I think that I would have gotten the same results if I was part of, you know, more than one marginalized community? I don't know, maybe not. But I, I do think that sometimes life just happens. Sometimes it's not something we attract. And, and I, I don't think you were saying this at all, but I just wanna make sure that everyone's clear where I stand is that I don't think that we attract everything. I think sometimes life just fucking sucks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just oh, stuff know. happens it and it's does. not a soul contract. It does. And yeah, as I say, it's shit things happen to good people. And mm-hmm. it's not fair and life isn't always fair. And I, I've shared this really openly and, you know, I'm going through some real tough times with family right now. And my mum's took a massive stroke six weeks oh, ago. No. And we all got COVID on the same day that she took mm-hmm. the stroke. So we could not be with her. And she was unconscious in hospital on her own for 10 days. And we're a very, very close family. And that really challenged me to, and I've been through some challenges. My mum's, you know, fought cancer for 18 years and we're so close. But that, this is probably the most difficult thing I've ever had to go through in my life. And I, I don't sleep as well at night because guess what happens? We're busy working. We're busy being mums. And then the subconscious just goes woof at night. Everything mm-hmm. comes up at night. I'm having sketchy dreams. And, and then I wake up with this heavy sadness. And it takes a lot for me to really pull on my tools because inside I want to just go, I'm going back to bed and pull that bloody duvet over my head. Oh, really? It feels like shit. And my mum is probably one of the most kindest honest genuine people and I think this is so shit and Mm. that's what I'm saying like it's not easy to pull yourself out of it and it is a choice and it takes oh my god it takes everything in me and I'm someone who's you know a definite action taker but it takes everything in me to to keep going sometimes because when I go and see her in the hospital and I look in her eyes I just feel this wave of oh my god like sadness sadness and um it's like you grieve someone who is there mm-hmm. but actually not fully there and we don't know what the future is going to look like and it's like it's not in my hands yeah. it's not and you do question things right you question you know why is God doing this why why does this happen? You know, this is not fair. I'm a good person. She's a good person. We're good people. Why? But, you know, you're absolutely right. And and it's hard. It's not easy. It's simple on paper, but it's not easy. And it requires mm-hmm. a lot of bloody effort to, to push through and to keep going in those times of real challenge, like real, real heartache and challenge. Um, so I completely resonate with you. And I think... Not everyone does have the privilege to go and get a coach, but hopefully everyone can buy a book and start from there and start to learn those lessons and do those things and commit to themselves and know their worth that actually things can change and things can turn around. And those moments of pain and trauma are a moment in time. And hopefully it's not always going to be like that in life. Um, 
And I think if you can pull on any tool that can help you work through things, then that can only be good, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. My dad used to say peaks and valleys, Andrea, peaks and valleys. And that's just, it's such a, it's such a great summary of what life is like always, always. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I want to ask you, why did you call it make some noise? <laughs> I originally wanted to call it raise hell and the publisher wanted no curse words in the title this time. That's <laughs> And so we brainstormed on, on titles and I, I actually really also loved the title burn it down Mm. because I felt in many ways that I, I, in my opinion, women's empowerment is an act of rebellion. It truly is. And we have to, we have to burn things down. We, we do and and sometimes start over. Um, Unfortunately, that title was already taken. Uh, I believe it's an anthology of women's stories. So uh, I named the, there's a poem in there that's named burn it down, but make some noise was on the list of brainstorm titles that we did with the, you know, myself and the editorial team. And, and that was what was chosen. I love it. Love it. Make some noise, right. As a, an empowered woman. I love that. It's using your voice and speaking your truth, right? Exactly. And so speaking as women, as a collective, what I love in your book is when you talk about your board of directors, And I think so many people are going to love this, right? And I think it's so great to call upon it when you've got those moments of, um, oh God, you know, what would, what would Gaga do? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So talk to me about like, or talk to the audience about what is the board of directors and how can anyone use that in day to day? I love this. And so this is a tool I actually got from one of my coaches and she's been coaching for gosh, 15 years, Susan Hyatt. And, and it's an imaginary board of directors. And so you come up with anyone who, if you could have your personal BOD, your board of directors, who would be on it? And they don't have to be real people, you know, and it can be you know, your parents, if you want it to, it can be your children, if you want it to. And it doesn't necessarily have to be women. Mine is, is all, is all women, but it is, who do you admire? You know, what are the attributes in these people that you look up to? If, if you could call on them for advice, if they could, you know, be in your home having dinner and you are afraid to do something and you know that they would give you the best advice possible, who would be those people? And so for me, it's, you know, people like Billie Jean King, who was, you know, a a tremendous feminist and professional tennis player. You know, her name was very, was spoken a lot in my house growing up. We were a tennis family. Um, Beyonce is on there. Lady Gaga is on there. Um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, the Williams sisters together. Cause I couldn't pick just one <laughs> Dolly Parton uh, and, you know, women who have had decades long careers like Madonna and, and, and Dolly Parton and, and JLo and, um, and even, you know, Wonder Woman is on there. I have some fictional characters on there as well. Yeah. I love that. I love it because sometimes we can, we can't sort of figure out the answers ourselves. We get too heady, right? We start mm-hmm. thinking we're in our head too much. And actually when we go, right, well, what would JLo do? I mean, she would just get up there and like kick ass. She would so just go for it. Mm-hmm. We would not care. And so we channel that, right? So we start to channel exactly because we're so connected. We are all connected. I, I truly believe that we're all connected energetically. And so what you see in someone 
is mirrored back in, in you, right? I, I, I believe anyway, I believe that we can um, pull on that strength and almost wear that kind of cloak. Um, yes, I, I agree. I love that. I love that. And so what, obviously my podcast is called She Loves Herself, Angie, and we talked a lot about, you know, empowering women. What does she loves herself mean to you when you think of the term she loves herself what does that mean to you I you know I think self-love is one of those terms that's sort of an umbrella and there's a lot of different components that fall in underneath it and one of them is self-trust and as someone as I mentioned before who has gone through periods of my life where I did not trust myself then to me that is the most important part at least right now in this season of my life. And so she loves herself. I, in my opinion, directly points to, you know, she also trusts herself. She also trusts that she's going to be okay. If she has to feel her feelings, Mm -hmm. she trusts that um, the decision that she's making is the right one, even though it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, but her intuition is telling her that she trusts that uh, even though people may judge the decisions that she's making, she knows that they're in alignment with her values and, and things like that. So that's what that looks like to me. I love that. I love that. When I was um, younger, the term she loves herself was such a negative thing. You know, as oh, a like the word conceited. Mm-hmm. So oh, she so loves herself. Ooh, who does she think she is? Right. And right. I used that and changed it around because it is so important to have that self-love on the deepest level. And what that means as well is um, forgiving yourself and honoring mm-hmm. yourself. And I love that you go back to the, the truth and trusting yourself. It's huge, huge for me. I know when I started to really trust myself because so many times I've doubted myself and I've asked 25 other yeah. opinions and I'm like, what do you think? What do you think? And I know in my gut mm-hmm. what's right. And we do know in our gut what's right. So it's leaning into trust in our gut and beginning to really trust ourselves so yeah amazing um one final question for you Andrea and then I'll mm-hmm. let you go because this has been amazing I could talk to you all day what is the big plans for you for the rest of 2021 right obviously we've had COVID we've got so many challenges that we've faced but you've created a book right what is the big what's the big goal what's the dream for for you for the rest of this year Honestly, just birthing this book and seeing it through and riding, riding the wave all the way to the shore, I tend to be very much like onto the next thing. <laughs> and so just, just writing it in. I have some in-person speaking engagements that I'm really excited about, you know, because we haven't had that all of last year. And I have I have ideas for like three or four more books, but I know that they aren't going anywhere. I have the outlines and the ideas all written out. And so um, yeah, mostly just taking care of this, this makes some noise baby. I love that. And mm-hmm. I'm completely supporting it. And um, <laughs> I think it's just, it's an amazing book. And um, I would encourage anyone to go and buy this book and your other books. They're all fantastic. And I just want to say thank you so, so much for giving us your your time and your wisdom and your truth and um, sharing all of that on the podcast. Thank you so, so much, Andrea. Thank you so much. Can I tell people where to go to get all the freebies? <laughs> Yeah, okay. That cuz the workbook it's like 40 plus pages and it's free. So I want people to get it. It's just super easy. andreaowen.com/noise and there's um we're doing giveaways. There's um there's the free workbook, there's free book. There's all kinds of stuff in there. They can see everything on that page. 
Amazing. And I'll put it in the show notes as well at where everyone can find you and find that workbook as well. So we'll drop some links in there. And um, yeah, thank you thank so, you so, so much. much.